people have to know that you're looking out for them because the future is still uncertain. It's still a very, very cloudy horizon, right? And uh, and so managers have, can help a lot with that by just letting people know that they're on their team, they're looking out for them, they're checking in on them uh, and, and giving them a sense of where it is that they're going. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You are joined today, as always, with the, your two favorite co-hosts, Adam and Chloe. And today we welcome Shannon Paulson, a military veteran who now works in the fields of keynote speaking, business consulting, and authorship. Shannon is the founder of the Grid Institute, an organization that emphasizes leadership facilitation and consultation, building courageous compassionate and creative leaders with a focus on grit and resilience in times of challenge and change. Shannon, welcome to the show this afternoon. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for coming. And as much as I definitely want to get to the Grit Institute, but I want to hear about your military experience. Like Most definitely. Whenever I meet a female, a woman from the military, I'm just in awe, like at just all the amazing things they did, especially if they were in for a long time, even if they were there for a short time, because it's such a male dominated space. I just, I want to hear all about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to be one of the first women to fly the Apache helicopter in the United States army. And I came out of fantastic. Yeah. It was uh, <laughs> not what I knew that I was going in for, but I had come out of ROTC at Duke university where I was an English major uh, and uh, I had service obligation uh, that I would have to serve. And so I figured that um, aviation and specifically attack aviation as it opened just as I graduated from college, just opened to women in 1993, uh, was the best opportunity. Wow. So. Excellent. Just out of curiosity, have you ever crossed paths with uh, Vernice Fly Girl? Well, I can't remember her last name right now, but she flew for the UM, uh, for the United States Marine Corps. We have not yet. I certainly know of Bernice. I think we know of each other, but um, but we haven't yet crossed paths, but she's terrific. Okay. I've got to get the two of you in the same room at some point. I think that would be an, amazing, oh, be so much fun. an amazing conversation because I know she actually had two or three combat flights. So some of her tales are unbelievable. Absolutely. No, women are serving in combat roles now and have been since 1993. Um, now multiple tours now in command of entire uh, large organizations within the military. So in my time, I had the opportunity to lead two platoons and a flight company on three different continents. And then I transitioned through my MBA at the Tuck School at Gar Dartmouth and ended up in the corporate world for a while as well. So it was a really 
wonderful honor to be able to take that experience into a place that could really benefit from it. That's awesome. No, as a, as a recovering infantryman, the Apache helicopters are something we were always glad to see uh, for that fo- force multiplier. So that was always a very welcome sight to hear that uh, coming up over the berm. So thank you very much for all you've done. Absolutely. And, you know, we knew always that our purpose was to serve those guys on the ground. And so there was never any question at any point in my career what the ultimate end goal was. And that was to support the folks who were who were holding ground in the, in the military is how we would talk about it, as you know. But, uh, yep. but having oh, that yes. purpose really keeps you focused. And we can talk more about that as we go forward. So so talk to us a little bit about how what what the transition was from the military to then graduate school or did you just, you know, tell us a little bit about what you did once um, your, your, your time at the military was up? Yeah. You know, my, my last year in service, I was at an echelon above core headquarters in Fort Bliss, Texas, and we deployed every other month to various exercises around the world. We went to Korea for a month. We went to Kuwait for a month, went to Louisiana for a month, to Colorado mm. for a month. And, uh, and while we were in Kuwait, I sent in my application to the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth the last day of the last round, which was my only application. And uh, it came back accepted. I sort of feel like that was probably taking a risk. I didn't know that I was taking, but it worked. <laughs> and uh, and then I went to the tech school uh, of business at Dartmouth for two years as a full-time MBA student and then entered uh, the corporate world in the medical device space at Guidant Corporation, which was later Boston Scientific and then later moved on to Microsoft. Nice. Very, very nice. How do you feel like your military experience sort of helped, you know, sort of catapult you or support you or or hurt you, you know, in your professional and the private sector? Yeah. And I'm glad you put it in that multifaceted way, Chloe, because it really was multifaceted. And I would say the initial transition was not easy in the sense that you come from this very values-driven, insular sort of organization. And mind you, it's not that we we made, made it to successfully uh, uh, carry out those values all the time at all, but at least they were the driver. And it is a very different thing to go from that into another um, and so that was a hard transition to make. And I think that business school helped me make that transition a lot more smoothly. Um, but then once I was in the corporate world, a couple of things really came out as real strengths. And the first was getting something done, no matter what you needed to do. I actually recently read a message to Garcia, and I think it applies directly to this. We can talk more about that if you want, but it uh, is a, a perfect example. You get it done however you need to get it done. And, uh, and I think in the military, you learn how to do that and you don't doubt it. You don't turn around and ask questions. You just get it done. Um, Adapt, overcome, conquer. Yeah, exactly. And the second part, which is probably um, most important, is that I think when it's done well, the military teaches you that taking care of your people is paramount. And at the end of the day, that is what drives good business. It's what drives all good business. Um, and uh, And right now in this time where things are transitioning so much to this hybrid or, or virtual versus in-person versus, you know, more people have left their jobs than ever before in the last several months. So I think businesses are starting to realize things have to change. And part of that change is taking care of your people. And so what that means and how you do that is the opportunity that I think that, that people from the military really can bring. So I, I always love to ask this question to fellow vets. Yeah. What's the one thing in the military that you find doing in your personal life? I'll give you a perfect example. Ah. With our three boys, 
uh, everybody knows what it means to be jump ready, right? So when dad says jump ready in five, that means you're sitting on the couch and in your lap is everything you're taking into the car with you. Because when we go out the door, we're not going back in. Yes. Right. So everybody in my household knows jump ready. So what is it? What is it for you? That is hilarious. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I realized by the way, that as I'm talking, talking to you. This is my 20 year anniversary of leaving the military yet this month. And uh, so there are a lot of things that I don't do. I will say, uh, say again, for example, instead of, would you repeat, I'll hold my bag always in my left hand, which gave me tennis elbow at some point. And now I see soldiers like slinging things over their backs and all kinds of things we weren't allowed to do. Right. Um, So I would say those are probably the two biggest things. Although when it comes down to something getting stressful, I get really, really mission focused. And, um, and I think that's a benefit, but it's also something that people who have not been in the military or in similarly mission focused environments, um, uh, aren't always used to. So, but moving on to that, right? You've you've instituted the Grid Institute, or or you've started the Grid Institute. So, what what was the inspiration behind that to to found that organization? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. And I I'm going to back up and give a very quick introduction to the Grit Factor because that really was the foundation of the Grit Institute. And I know we can come back to that in a moment. But the Grit Factor was published last year by Harvard Business Review Press, and that came about because a young lieutenant reached out to me and asked me to mentor her as she began the same journey that I had done a number of years ago at Fort Rucker, Alabama, and then going out to be an aviation leader. And I immediately said yes, but then I doubted myself because it had been a number of years since I had served. I had worked in the corporate world. I'd gone through the MBA. And so I wondered how I could scale the advice that I gave her and understanding that, you know, my, my experience also as one of the only women in an all-male field was somewhat unique. How could I scale what I offered to her, but then also scale the people to whom that was available? And that was the beginning of what ultimately became the grit factor, which was several years of interviewing leaders in the vanguards of their fields. They happened to be women. They happened to be military. All of them faced a double crucible, which was both the challenges of the job at hand, sometimes including combat, but also an environment which was sometimes actively resistant or even hostile to their being there. So that's what a Stanford law professor has termed the double crucible. And when I did the work to put together the grit factor, that's synthesizing those stories and those lessons learned, I realized We've got to be able to, to take this deeper as well, right? Reading the book is really awesome. And, I, and it goes from the stories to the research to the tactical takeaways. But how can we also put that into a format where people can bring that more deeply into their own lives? And that was really the genesis of the Grit Institute. I love that. Nice. Very nice. So tell us exactly, you know, what has come from the Grit Institute since, since launching it last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Uh, Well, one of the things is an online training program called Going for Grit, which essentially follows the structure of the grit factor. So it's a perfect complement. It's available to an individual. It is actually being re-released in about a week, uh, kind of woodshedded out the back with another instructional designer. And I think we've made it even more powerful than it was before. So that's available purely online. But I also have companies that reach out and ask me to develop bespoke training for them. So for example, with Intuit, We developed a course that was surviving to thriving, and that was really something that they were looking at in the context of a challenge that a particular group of managers had actually across their teams around the world. Um, I'm developing training right now for another very large uh, legal group, and we're calling this Paths to Purpose. And this is something that will be available online as well, because purpose is something that it turns out is really critical to employee engagement 
And right now with employees leaving at record rates is more important than it has ever been. So people are really asking for extra work around that. So I'm developing this course specifically for them, but then we will have a more generic uh, version of that available online at the Grid Institute as well. So both those individual online pieces, which can be licensed to companies as well, or this more kind of leadership facilitation where I develop the workbook, the online community, and then I kind of kick it off and then and uh, finish it up. So it really depends on what their needs are and what kind of format they want to see. You know, and I think that's important because that's one of the things Chloe and I talk about all the time is employee retention, especially in this virtual digital world that we're in right now, right? Absolutely. I mean, Chloe and I tell the story that we started a podcast and I think we've been in studio twice together. And, wow. you know, we've been doing this since December right. because- we can do it this way, right? Yeah. We're on a Zoom call, essentially, and that's how we're recording the audio. Right. So, you know, when you're looking through this and you're looking through the different programs you're putting out there, yep. talk to us a little bit about employee retention, because I think you hit a very important key point, and that is employees are leaving at a record pace. Yes. I'm going to tell you something. I learned a story today about another major bank. Not going to mention their name. It's not anybody I'm affiliated with. Yeah. Um, but that CEO came out and said, we're a bank. We work from the office. We will work from the office. We will return from the office and you're expected to return to the office. Right. He had to release a video within a few weeks of that one saying, you know what? I'm just kind of an old guy. I need to learn how to change. I made a mistake because HR is coming to him and going, guess what? Everybody's leaving because you came out and said you're working from the office and that's not a, a thing any longer, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he had to really kind of come out and throw himself on his sword a little bit, right. say mea culpa, and to keep the re employee retention. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I think that's a key thing. Leaders, whether you're a 10 company, um, you know, a 10 person company or a 10,000 person company, it's something you've got to be thinking about. It is 100% the thing that people need to be thinking about right now. And I could take this in three different directions. We can address any one okay. of them or all of them. Uh, but the first thing I would say is, and this is first and foremost, and that's what that example that you just gave uh, showed somebody not doing, was listening to your people, right? And listen, asking them and then taking the space to really listen and hear it and understand that if it challenges where you're coming from. And this is the key to leveraging diversity, the power of diversity. It's the power of leveraging um, maybe some ideas that, that are, are new or unfamiliar, no matter how experienced you are, is asking the question. And I have a whole chapter on the importance of strategic listening and active listening because it comes out as the most important skill of any senior leader. And that is clearly something that that particular executive hadn't done. So that's number one. Um, and the number two, and that this can go hand in hand after you've listened to your people, is investing in your people. HBR just had an article that came out on this, actually, um, that, that how important it is to offer the training and the investment in your people. And I've talked to startups who are like, oh my gosh, we can't keep our sales team here. We really need to know what to do. And I'm like, well, how much training are you giving them? And they're like, oh, we're not doing anything. We're just telling them to go out and do it and figure they'll figure it out. And, uh, and, and yet I have talked three times to In-N-Out Burger, a fast food company, and they have 20-year retention in their, their separate sites. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like things you just never, never, because they invest in their people. They pay them well. They train them. They offer them out, you know, external learning opportunities. It's really powerful. Um, and then that third piece is purpose. And again, this comes from a recent McKinsey report, which really looks at the power of purpose. It's, uh, it's a second chapter in the, grit, uh, in the grit factor. I believe in it 
uh, it's one of my two favorite parts of the grit factor actually is this criticality of purpose and people need it. They expect it right now. We've had a tough last 15 months and people expect it and they're not going to put up with not having it. So employees have to help their people connect to that and then help to serve that purpose uh, or else you're going to lose them. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. So a company culture, essentially, right? You have to have a mature, a mature company culture. You, yeah. you do. I think this is a specific aspect of it, actually, because culture is much bigger and, and more, a little more amorphous. Uh, but I think within the context of culture, and it's not just the company purpose, it's the individual purpose first, then connecting to the organizational purpose. And that's an important order that this kind of development has to go into. So again, I love working with companies on this because it's really critical stuff that has immediate payoff. Yeah. Yeah. I think people feel like if you're investing in me, then I will invest and pour into, you know, the time that I'm here, you know, whatever that is, if it's eight to five or six, it's like, you're investing in me. I want to invest in you and what's happening here. Exactly. I mean, it's a relationship, right? And I think it's been more transactional in the past, but people are expecting it to be less of that and more relational going forward. Are you spending a lot of time working with leaders trying to learn how to communicate that through digital channels now? I mean, because it's one thing to be able to stop by and have a cup of coffee or a quick chat, that type of thing. It has to be, it feels like it has to be intentional without feeling manufactured, right, in this new environment we have. It does. And there's some wonderful examples of this, actually. Some really wonderful examples, both of I think that employers have to really focus on how it is that they show that they care, right? And there is a, there's a startup company called Workboard that sent fresh flowers every week to their employees. There's a American Express, I heard, sent chocolate chip cookies when somebody was sick because they couldn't go by, they couldn't send a card. And, uh, and then there's a, uh, I think it's Horowitz uh, on the Andresen Horowitz podcast was talking about how he sets aside time to walk every week for two hours and he makes one-on-one calls and you've got to have the data is pretty clear from the pandemic. It's already available that those employees were who had a manager who reached out one-to-one in some form or fashion, whether it was a a text, an email, a phone call, but it had to be one-on-one check-in are are much more engaged than those who did not have it. And so it's not that hard. Interesting. Initially start these conversations and people say, ah, it's so hard. It's virtual. I was like, really? You just pick up the phone. You know, it's, it's, not that hard, right. um, but it, you know, we're not in the habit of that. So we do have to establish these new habits to say we're in a different environment. We've got to have this personal human connection. Yeah. Uh, and how do we do that? And, and you do it by picking up the phone. Right. Right. Because I think just naturally human nature is to want to build community. And so the thing, the thing that I think leaders sometimes think about, you know, obviously community is this subjective thing, you know, it's, it's different in everybody's mind, but how important it is to connect with people and for them to feel connected to, even if it's just one person, even if it's just a peer, your boss, someone in another department, but that community aspect when you're in isolation and then dealing with, you know, all the stress of 2020 and the stress of 2021, I mean, that can just really take its toll. It really does. And Chloe, you bring up a really important point here in that, uh, and this again, from the grit factor, this is the first part of the second piece. The grit factor has the grit triad, which comes out as commit, learn, and launch, which is connection to our past, deep engagement in the present, and then looking towards the future with audacity, with authenticity, and with adaptability. And those are, again, the lessons that came out again and again and again from these leaders that were interviewed for, for the project. 
And so when we look at this deep engagement in the present, the first part of that is building your team, right? Because none of us exist in a silo. None of us do it alone. And especially in the virtual world, it can feel, I mean, it does to me too. It feels really lonely. Uh, and for those of us who are entrepreneurs, it is really lonely oh, yeah. already. Um, but so working to reach out and make those connections and keep those connections mm-hmm. Is, is especially critical, more than it ever has been. And uh, and then for employers, for the managers, people have to know that you're looking out for them because the future is still uncertain. It's still a very, very cloudy horizon, right? And uh, and so managers have, can help a lot with that by just letting people know that they're on their team, they're looking out for them, they're checking in on them uh, and, and giving them a sense of where it is that they're going. One question that I have, you know, I've had lots of conversations with various leaders at organizations. How do you you know, coach leaders on, you know, marrying business objectives to individual performers and individual team members, their own goals and their own objectives. How do you sort of connect the two, particularly if they're completely different or there's a misalignment, you know, against corporate goals? Yeah, I think, gosh, I mean, that question, is important and it's very complex and very situational. And so that is the hard thing about answering that. I would say that if somebody is in a in the wrong position, then I think you do them and yourself and the organization a favor to help them find a better fit of a position. And that can be very hard to do. Uh, it can feel painful. <laughs> um, and But I think, again... Right. On both sides. On both yeah. sides. But I think the communication, that open communication of like, look, we want to make, we want you to, to thrive, to succeed beyond your wildest dream. And this is what you love doing. And this is how you best contribute. And it's how you're saying that you want to contribute. And I think you're going to be able to do that better over here. And so let's go. And then, and working with them to do that, I think is a really important thing to be able to do um, if there is that misalignment, because alignment is pretty critical and, and pretty key, but communication is the key to making that work. That is, yeah. I mean, I think that's very much sage, but what, let me just ask you an opinion question, right? So if, as we're looking at corporate goals and that type of thing, and I know a lot of people in corporate America rolling their eyes going, oh yeah, we just had mid-years or, oh man, yeah, I got goals. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, You know, there is some, there is some talk in the HR world of, are we doing a disservice to the overall engagement and kind of esprit de corps, let's use another military term, of our employees by having corporate goals and year ends and mid years and performance reviews. Can I talk to us a little bit about that? Cause you know, we have the military background, right? We were all about performance reviews, 360 reviews, leadership reviews. Oh my goodness. If they had an opinion about how you, you know, walked, you got to hear about it. Right. So you were constantly under the microscope. Now it's now there is some leaning towards of a, do we need to have that type of dress right dress in corporate America? Is that appropriate any longer? What is coming from the military background into corporate America now in kind of the, the HR leadership type role that you're you're leading with the Grin Institute? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, God, I mean, these are these are hard questions, and then that's why there people are asking them, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I I mean I I think you've got to have goals. My, my Myself. I mean, I don't think if you if you have <laughs> you still have to um, you still have to pay attention to the bottom line. You still have to pay attention to to uh, to continuing to meet the mission, to be able to pay your people, to be able to innovate, to be able to continue to advance. So you have to have goals, and I think the the opportunity is to going back to Chloe's question 
is looking at that alignment between those corporate goals and the individual goals. And when you can create that alignment, and that's the opportunity, right? The opportunity is to say, hey, Adam, this is something that you really want to do. You can contribute this exceptionally well. We're going to um, send you to this additional training, and then we really want to take on this stretch assignment that's going to get us here. And uh, and and I think that is... Um, that alignment is the critical piece. It, the, this, the other information that's really in, interesting is looking at how employees find that satisfaction. And part of it is relational and it's feeling like they are making a contribution. So those are, those are human pieces that you can create. And, and it's not about the best piece of advice I ever got as a young, young person starting out after my MBA was like, it's not what you're doing, it's who you work for that really matters, right? Because who you work for is who helps develop you, who promotes you, who advocates for you. And, uh, and so I think building that team Having those relationships, knowing that you are continuing to get better and you're continuing to improve and contribute meaningfully and you're being recognized for that is much more important than whether or not you're, I don't know, leading the, the team in Japan or, or whatever it is that, that might be the specific. So I think that alignment and the communication is the real opportunity here that will address a lot of those issues. I think that... Ooh, I think so many companies need to definitely start thinking a little bit more about alignment and purpose and how do we attract the best and the brightest because ultimately, and how do we as an organization really make sure that we're communicating our mission and our values because ultimately you need your people. And I think oftentimes companies focus more on the customers, which customers are great. Great, great, great. But you can't service them without the people, without your team and without the talent. It's people first. Our mission first people always is what we said in the army, right? But it is people first in a way. If you don't take care of your people, they can't take care of the mission. And so it is about communicating mission. But more than that, it's going to your people and saying, talk to me. Talk to me about what you're seeing. What are you excited about? Which direction do you think we should go? And it, it's a much more open kind of a communication than maybe Adam, you or I had in the military. It's, it's a very different paradigm and it's much more powerful, I think, really at the end of the day. It, it is, right? I mean, it was, you were told to take the hill. You didn't ask why. You didn't even ask what was up there. You just were like, yeah, yes, sir. And you took that hill and you held it this for is- all you were worth. There was no questioning. You just did it. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little different paradigm right. than corporate America. You do have the levity go, does that really make sense? I cannot imagine looking at my company officer going, as a platoon leader going, that really makes sense for us today there, Cap, and would not have gone well. <laughs> right. And then again, there's there's situations where in aviation, I always tell people because people will ask sometimes, and they did in job interviews, well, leadership is different in the army because you just tell people what to do and they do it, right? I was like, well, not in aviation. <laughs> I don't know. I think infantry is a bit more, but aviation, my warrant officers uh, were going to ask me every question they had. And, and I think we were stronger for it because they were the experts. And so it is a different paradigm when you're in the midst of a crisis, which is much more directive and must be very directive and decision oriented and vision oriented from the top down to your regular operations, where you've got to have that flow of knowledge and and uh, and and just that human interaction to, to keep everybody moving in the same Yeah, direction. I think that's important, right? Because leadership is communication, right? Um, and I think what I took away from it, like you were saying, Shannon, is that everybody's going, if given an objective, everybody's going to hit the objective differently. And your commanding officer had to realize, yes. you know, Lieutenant Moore is going to do it differently than Lieutenant Smith, but that hill's going to get taken, right? The the, the tactic, right. the angle that we can get into some really nitty gritty stuff, how it's handled, how they deploy, how they move through it, it's 
going to look different than each, but the same objective is going to have to be hit. I think that's the confidence in corporate America that we have to have of our subordinate leaders of as long as we're hitting the objective, how you get there, as long as it's ethical and moral, great, (laughs) right? But we don't need to micromanage the make sure you do this step and this step and this step and this step and this step. And that's when goal setting starts to become arduous. It's like, did you hit step one, two, a five? Oh, right. No, no, no. (laughs) Right. And I like to talk about it from the military perspective, you know, in an operations order that does detail out the plan, which we always say that a plan never survives first contact. Right. But also there's a commander's intent. And that's the only thing that you should be giving to your managers. The intent is, you know, here's our revenue goal. Here's our whatever, you know, that our values are this, our mission is this. Now go figure out a way to make it happen. And at the same time, when they try something new and maybe it doesn't work exactly right, creating a culture where you can create and innovate and sometimes fail because that's also part of innovation and and continuing continuous improvement. And that is a hard thing to balance, but it's a necessary thing if you do want to continue to innovate and you want yeah, to keep your folks. Yeah. So, yeah. Amen. Amen. So much so, information. Let's talk about something fun for just a second, right? As we're kind of coming into oh, the close, of, let's talk to some about something fun and something I think all of us would like to do someday. And that's beyond the Today Show, <laughs> right? So. Oh. <laughs> Uh, that was great. <laughs> thank you. Uh, this is why Zoe, Chloe pays me the big bucks is yes, to do just yes. that. Um, so talk to us. Talk to us about that experience. That must have been awesome. And how did that come about? What did you talk about? Just kind of walk us through uh, uh, that day in the life of Shannon when you were on the Today Show. I think that would be awesome to hear about. Well, it was a little crazy. It was before my book even had a pub date, but the publisher, um, there's a wonderful woman that does PR at Harvard Business Review. And she had been talking to the Today Show about uh, some of their needs and they wanted me to come on. And it didn't matter that the timing was off because it was just a good idea. So uh, of course it's linked at my website at shannonpolson.com, but it was uh, was a hoot. I mean, I had, I, I was... I was probably too naive to be nervous. And I just decided to not let myself be nervous because you walk into the studio and it's small, you know, it's a small studio. So as long as you don't think that you're talking to people, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you just, uh, but they made you, me feel very much at ease. And it was just, a, it was a fun conversation that was very brief. I mean, you get about, you know, a few minutes and then yeah. you're done and they send you home. Wow. So it's a kind of a crazy, super intense, super focused time. Yeah. And, but you want to be natural and, and share what you have to share in a meaningful way in a very short time and still enjoy it. And, uh, and that I think makes for, for good TV. So it was a lot of fun to do. That's awesome. Just, that yeah. Awesome. I mean, I just, I admire all the work that yeah. you've done and I mean, just, just the courage, the tenacity, perseverance, mm-hmm. all that is encompassing of grit. I mean, I just, I just really applaud you. I really, really do. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Shannon. I really, really appreciate it. And for all of our listeners who would like to follow Shannon and her work, you can find her on LinkedIn at Shannon Polson or on her website at Mm -hmm. www.shannonpolson.com. You can also stay in touch with her through her programs at the Grit Institute at www.thegritinstitute.com. Thank you so much, Shannon. Thank you again. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Chloe. You're both a delight. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Really important things for everybody to be thinking about right now. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. 
please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.